0: Good morning. <clears throat> uh, good morning. Thanks, Bill. <laughs> good to see everybody here. Hope you're doing well. I was uh I was thinking I don't think I said this to you guys last week. I said it somewhere to someone that you know it's about this time of year where you start thinking, where, this is what, September 22nd? And you start thinking, one of these mornings you're going to walk outside and you're going to feel that feeling, that fall. Like almost, it's a little cooler, you know. Um, I I think I almost felt it this morning when I walked outside. It was 60-something, 60 65 or something when I went outside this morning. So we're getting close, but it it's going to get up to... What, 97 or so in a couple days? So we're not quite there, but I I don't know. I I love that first hint of fall uh, in this this time of year. So we're close. We're close to that. Uh, My favorite time of year when uh, you feel that change in the weather. It's good to be here on this uh, good morning, beautiful morning. I'm glad that you all are here to be a part of the class, and uh, we'll worship together in a bit as well. We're going to be in John chapter 6, if you want to go ahead and make your way there. John chapter 6. I'm going to be gone next Sunday and Bill Rayburn's going to fill in for me and I appreciate his doing that. He's going to teach this class next week on one of the miracles of Jesus as well. So uh, you can look forward to that. I appreciate his being willing to do that. Today we're going to do John 6. So I'll talk to you about that in a minute. I want to give you a chance to make any kind of prayer requests that you have. Uh, I don't think I've got any update on anybody on our on our care lines. Um, We've got Lynn <clears throat> Garnett as we announced Wednesday night got good news from her biopsy so we're excited about that keep praying for Daryl and Jennifer Smith's daughter uh, Shelby she's going to have some other tests done before she can have that thyroid biopsy uh, and so I know they would appreciate very much your prayers um, I don't know if you've got any updates on any of the other folks on here uh, Rex Anderson's brother in law keep praying for him Gary Pemberton um, Mike Rumley, Bob Brooks' cousin Butch Haynes is in Grandview still. That's Beth Browson's dad. He's uh, not doing well. Wyatt Span, the little baby who's fighting, a little child who's fighting cancer. Um, Clara Colson, the premature little baby born uh, recently, she's doing some better, and they were able to breathe on her own, I think. So that's, that's good news. Anybody else? or Any updates? No one. Okay, I don't think I've got anything else about that. Um, Today we got uh, faith in action. This evening, going to go down to the fellowship house and uh, sing and pray and share a short thought with them. Provide a meal for them. I'm I'm really excited about that. And also, uh, Wade Warren is going to be teaching a class here. If you want to stay for that, I know that'll be good as well. So. Uh, come here at 5, and then either stay for wage class or go with us down to the fellowship house and be a part of that service activity this evening. And uh, so that'll be, that'll be good. Uh, next Sunday, fellowship meal, fifth Sunday. Going to have a fellowship meal. It'll be a church-eat church day. Uh, we have worship, have fellowship meal downstairs, and come back upstairs that afternoon uh, around 1245 or so for a time of worship. And so I'm looking forward to that. All right, let's go ahead and pray. <laughs> thank you, Lord, for the beautiful morning you've given us. Thank you for just maybe a hint of fall in the air and the change of seasons and uh, look forward to cooler weather, perhaps. We thank you so much for your watching over us in every season of life, just blessing us. Thank you for food and clothes and a place to live and friends, family members, especially we thank you that you've invited us and accepted us into your family and that we, because of the resurrection of Jesus, can know that we will be with you forever. We pray for the ones who are on our care lines, for our shut-ins, for the church family who are dealing with various things, for Linda Garnett. We're thankful for the good news that she got, Uh, for Gary Pemberton, Mike Rumley. Rumley both of whom have uh, cancer, for uh, Shelby Sandlin, for Butch Haynes and his fight against cancer, for White Span and Clara Colson and others, uh, Lord. Please be with our class this morning and our worship, and we just pray that as we gather today that this assembly will be one in which we reconfirm who we are and just remind ourselves of, of what it means to be followers of Jesus and to, to, to be ready to go out into uh, the world again tomorrow and to live the life of Christians. Bless us this day in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, John chapter 6. If you're joining us in the last couple minutes, uh, mentioned that to you a minute ago. John chapter 6. Go ahead and turn there if you would. We'll stay right there uh, through the classes. Long chapter. John 6 is. Long chapter. I don't know that we'll be able to read all of it, because it's, it's a lot. It's uh, 71 verses, so in some of it we'll, do, we'll skip, and some of it we'll do in a little bit of a summary fashion. But we're uh, studying the miracles of Jesus in this class, so we've looked at uh, a few of them so far, and uh, we're going we're gonna to look at it feeding the 5,000 in John 6. This is one of the, must have been pretty important miracle. I, I don't know that you could say any of them don't matter, or I know you can't say that or that any of them are any more important than the others. But it is fascinating to me that not that many miracles are recorded in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Of course, the resurrection is. That's that's obviously where the miracles of Jesus are going. They in some way prefigure what Jesus does at the empty tomb, at the tomb on that Sunday morning. So you got that one, but you don't have many miracles that are recorded in, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You've got quite a few that are recorded in Matthew, Mark, and Luke because they cover a lot of the same material you know the synoptic gospels they cover the same many of the same events and many of the same teachings of jesus but uh, when you've got them in matthew mark and luke that's interesting when you've got them also in john that's another level of interesting and this is one of those the feeding of the five thousand you've got them you've got this one told by all, all of them so it makes you wonder, why did God choose to put this in all four? It's almost like he wants to draw our attention to it and make us pause a little bit and, and ask some questions about it, so we'll do that today. What we've got in John 6, and the reason I chose to cover John's account of it is, John joins this miracle with a very important lesson that Jesus taught, and so we're going to spend some time in the miracle, and then we'll also spend some time with Jesus as he teaches what the miracle meant. So, this is one of those miracles that we've got some teaching associated with it, and so we're able to kind of hear from the mouth of Jesus, okay, this is why I did that, and this is the significance of it. So you got that with feeding of the 5,000 here in John chapter 6. And um, let's, let's go ahead and read the first section here, where he, just what happens, I'm sure many of you are familiar with the basics of the story, but uh, let's, let's look at it. John 6, 1 through 15 is the miracle. After, G, after this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about five thousand in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. John 6, 1 through 15. Okay, so the feeding of the 5,000. A couple of textual kind of things that you might be interested in. I want you to notice, uh, you know, Sea of Galilee, Jesus did most of his stuff around the Sea of Galilee. Jordan River flowed through it. This is where the storms came down, and, and that's what's going to happen in the very next section. Um, you got this large crowd. You see this happening quite a bit with the ministry of Jesus. you got people who are apparently like hangers-on. They... They are drawn to him because they see that he can feed their bellies or he can heal their sick. And they, Jesus often stops to challenge them and, and, and to say, okay, you know that these miracles point to something significant, not just what it gives you immediately. So we'll come back to that in a minute. He, he often will do that, and he does it here. Verse 4, this is Passover, so it would have been the spring of the year. You've got the green grass that was noted down below. Spring of the year, the, the grass is, is becoming green again. Um, that's a big deal, the Passover thing, verse 4. I'll come back to that in a minute and show you why I think that matters. Let's see. 200 denarii, you just so you remember, a denarius is how much you'd earn in a day if you were a working man. Uh, work from 6 to 6 or so, and you would earn a denarius. So 200 is a pretty good... Pretty good sum, you know. It's not insubstantial. Five barley loaves in verse 9. Uh, barley is poor man's, poor person's bread. It's, it's about the last option. If you want to make bread, barley is about the last thing you want to make it, bre- bre- uh, make it with. It doesn't uh, stick together. It's, uh, when you read about barley loaves, then you immediately know this is a poor person we're talking about. That's the indication That's probably why the text tells us that it was barley. Mm, okay, I'm gonna come back and point out a couple more things here, but I, I wanted just to uh, make sure we know some of the some of the things here that might not immediately jump out at us. Got these fragments left, twelve twelve baskets full. Probably some symbolism there to the twelve baskets for reasons I'll talk to you about in a minute. Twelve tribes of Israel, twelve apostles, twelve. Baskets. There's continuity here with the biblical story, in the Old Testament, and uh, when it well, I'll come. I'll come back to that. Let's. I want you to know. I want you to think about this Passover with me for a minute. And John six four when it tells us this is Passover, it's not just a throwaway verse telling us something chronological, you know, about the time of year, but rather there's theological significance to this. And do you guys remember about Passover, the story that goes back to the Book of Exodus, of course, um, Exodus 12, 13, 14, You've got the Passover. What did Passover symbolize? What was the big deal about Passover? Coming out of Egypt. Yeah, coming out of Egypt. The whole uh, slavery in Egypt, The uh, 10 plagues. The 10th one was the death of the firstborn. God prepared Israel. If you prepare your houses appropriately, you take the blood of the firstborn lamb male lamb without blemish, put it on the doorpost, above the door, cook the animal entirely, have bitter herbs, get all the leaven out of the house, Passover. So that was huge for them from that day on. It was celebrated in the spring of the year, once a year. From then on, if they were faithful to the covenant, they would observe it. A lot of times they didn't observe it, but they were supposed to. But if you read the Old Testament, you'll read Passover was a huge deal. Even today, Among Jewish people who still observe aspects of the covenant law, a Seder meal around Passover in the spring, they still have them. You can attend one. In fact, and and sometimes uh, synagogues in Birmingham will invite Christians to come and observe a Seder meal with them. So that's a Passover. Seder meal is a Passover meal. So it's still a, a thing among Jewish people who are observant Jews. So Passover's big. But the, you know, important thing, well, one more thing I wanted you to think about. Passover led to the rescue from Egypt, exiting Egypt. Exodus is exit. So they left Egypt. Immediately, they came, almost immediately, they came to the Red Sea. Remember the story? Moses lifted up the staff. God parted the waters. They crossed over on dry land. They went immediately after God rescued them into the wilderness. And how did God... Um, how did God provide for them physically in the wilderness? Remember, there were two things, there were two things that he provided food-wise, and one of them was manna, and one of them was quail. Remember those two things? God also provided for them miraculously, giving them clean water to drink. They got thirsty and would complain. God miraculously fed them with water. And also you've got the, the which I think is important here. You've got right after Passover, right after they leave Egypt, they come to the water the Red Sea. You've got the water miracle there. And so the two big things that happened in conjunction with the rescue from Egyptian slavery had to do the, 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 the two big things were God kept them safe. The, the water miracle, the Red Sea miracle, was was symbolic of God's keeping them safe from Egypt, from the Egyptian army that followed them. And then he provided for them with bread. So, a water miracle and a bread miracle. Those two things were big things for the Jewish people in their history. And they look back to that time Passover followed by water and miraculous provision of bread, symbolizing God's rescue and God's working through Moses. Moses lifted up the staff and provided the water miracle. Of course, that's coming from God. And Moses was the one through whom God fed them with manna in the wilderness. And so here in John 6, this happens at Passover, okay? And and I think it's it's clear, based on some things Jesus said below, but even if he didn't give us the interpretation of it down below, I think we're expected to see those connections there, that you got all this stuff happening in the Old Testament, you got Passover, you've got a deliverance through water, uh, you've got uh, provision of, of manna and quail in the wilderness, God's protection. And here in John 6... You've got Passover, you've got the miraculous provision of bread, and I'll show you some more connections with that. Uh, The miracle we've already studied, I think this was the first one we studied in this quarter. Uh, We looked at, I think, Matthew's account of it and Mark's account of it back, I don't know, whatever, three weeks ago, four weeks ago. But look at what happens in John 6, 16. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and the sea's rough. Verse 18, Jesus comes walking on the sea. That's the one we studied a month ago. All right? So Passover, miraculous provision of bread, rescue associated with water. Do You see all the connections here? That Moses is the one through whom God provided these miracles in Exodus. But now we have before us someone who is greater than Moses. Now, um, four weeks ago, the first one, when we looked at the walking on the water, remember we talked about it. uh, Verse 20, we looked at, I think, Matthew's account of this. But he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. Remember that? uh, That it is I statement is grammatically identical in Greek to where Jesus says, I am, you know, it is I, is I am. And we talked at that time a connection to Exodus 3, where, where God said to Moses, tell them I am, that I am sent you. So do you see all these connections here? Just interesting, isn't it? you got Passover, provision of bread, miracle through water, and then you've got the interpretation of it starting in verse 22, which I want to point out a couple things more to you about that. But before I do that, I want to read just. Couple, couple things from the, from the Old Testament. Um, listen, listen to this. In a couple parallels here. All right, look at John six five. Jesus says, "Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat?" Numbers 11, 13, this is where, this is where Moses is giving a, an account of the complaining of the people for bread. So you read that in John 6, 5. Listen to Numbers eleven thirteen. 13. Where can I get meat for all these people? Do you notice the similar wording there? That's Numbers eleven thirteen. 13. Where can I get meat for all these people? In Numbers 11, verse 1, it says, And the people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes. If you look down in John six forty one, it says the Jews grumbled about him. Verse 43, Jesus says to them, do not grumble among yourselves. In Numbers 11, it, talks, it describes the manna as, as bread, you know. And then John six thirty one, it says, Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. I've mean, just got all, all sorts of parallels. Let me give you one more. Numbers eleven twenty two says this. Shall flocks and herds be be slaughtered for them and be enough for them? Or shall all the fish of the sea be gathered together for them and be enough for them? It doesn't come through. Oh, it does come through in English. But it, it's strengthened by the fact that the, the Greek translation of that passage in Numbers uses the same words that are used here in John 6. The word gather and the word fish. I don't, I don't want to, you know spend all day talking about it, but I just want you to see these aren't just coincidences. You've got too many these intertextual kind of ties here helping us to see that you got something significant going on. Okay. Uh, one, one more thing here about an Old Testament kind of connection is this one. Listen to Second Kings 4, 42 through 44. I'm going to read three verses here. This is about the prophet Elisha. A man came from Bel Shalisha, bringing the man of God bread of the first fruits, 20 loaves of barley, and fresh ears of grain in his sack. Notice 20 loaves of barley. And Elisha said, Give to the men that they may eat. But his servant said, How can I set this before a hundred men? So he repeated, Elisha repeated, Give them to the men that they may eat. For thus says the Lord, they shall eat and have some left. So he said it before them, and they ate and had some left, according to the word of the Lord." That's 2 Kings um, 4, 42 through 44, about about Elisha. Think that's significant? Do you notice the parallels there? How how am I going to... we got 20 loaves of barley, how am I going to feed 100 people with that? And Elisha says, do it, because God said he'll provide, feeds it to the people, and what do they have? They have a bunch of bread left over. I mean, obviously, there are these parallels. The significance of these parallels point to something about Jesus, right? Not just meant to, to, to be these ties, but rather to point to something being taught here in a, in a theological kind of way that we ought to read this and think about Jesus. And so Jesus, here's, here's what I think we're supposed to get from this in a big kind of way, is that Jesus is the greater Moses, and he is the greater prophet, the law and the prophets. You remember when Jesus went up on the Mount of Transfiguration. It wasn't Moses and Elisha, but it was Moses and Elijah. And Jesus was transfigured. Peter said, let's build three tabernacles, one for Moses, the law, one for Elijah, the prophet, and one for you. And and God comes and speaks, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. He's not just another lawgiver. He's not just another prophet. He is the culmination of the law and the prophets. He is the new Moses, right? He's the new Elijah. He's the the, the lawgiver of all lawgivers. He's the the great prophet. And so I think when you see this in John 6, the miraculous provision of bread, the water miracle, and then you read on, you'll see these these connections that that are pretty cool. All right, you guys got thoughts about any of that? We're going to go down and look at the sermon, but um, I've said a lot of stuff. Uh, You got thoughts or questions? Okay. Let's... uh, I think I skipped over this part at the end of... before we move on to the sermon. uh, Down to verse 14 when it says, the people saw the sign that he had done. They said, see, they made this connection. What, what I was telling you about these connections, I'm not just making those up. These people made them as well. You know, they, they saw them as well. They said, this is indeed the prophet who is come into the world. They're almost certainly referring to this passage. Let me read you three verses, four verses from Deuteronomy 18. This is God's talking to Moses. All right, listen to this. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God or see this great fire any more lest I die. Then the Lord said to me, "You that They are right in what they've spoken. Listen to this. This is important. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words, that he shall speak in my name. I myself will require it of him. So, When God said that to Moses, I'm going to raise up for you. I'm going to raise up a prophet like you, but he's going to be a greater you. That's Deuteronomy 18. So when the crowd saw the provision of bread, they made the connection that Moses provided bread in the wilderness. And so maybe Jesus is the fulfillment of that prophecy in Deuteronomy 18, that he is the the one. He's He's the prophet. Do you remember John chapter 1 when you got the uh, story about John the Baptist interacting with some of the religious leaders and they say, are you the Messiah? And John says, no, I'm not. Are you the prophet? Remember that? Are you the prophet? That's supposed to come into the world. They made a a bit of a distinction between the Messiah and the prophet. They shouldn't have, but they did. They thought there were two different individuals maybe. New Testament shows us that Jesus is the, not only the Messiah, but he's the prophet merged into one. So, anyway, that's what they're talking about when they ask that. This is indeed the prophet who's to come into the world. And, um, and then Jesus perceived that they were going to try to take him by force to make him king. That language there, by the way, in verse 15, is really strong language when it says they're going to take him by force. This is not just that they're going to try to persuade him or that they're going to put some pressure on him, or they're going to try to, you know, I don't know, encourage him. Hey, will you be our king? But rather the, the language, in fact, you remember, Do you remember when Jesus says uh, some people are going to try to take the kingdom by force? Remember when Jesus says that? Same, same word here. Uh, when it says they're going to or, or, no, it doesn't say that. It says by force here. There it says they're going to take the kingdom violently. It uses that word violently. It's the same word used here translated by force. idea here is they're about to, they're about to grab Jesus and force try to force him to connect these miracles with a political agenda. We're going to force you to become our king. That's the, that's the kind of language that the text is using here. That's why Jesus goes off into the mountain by himself, because he wants to get away from that kind of political... He's not a political king. You know, he's not that kind of king. We know that. They didn't know that. We know that now, of course. But he's not that kind of king. He's not going to ride the white stallion. He's not going to lead the armies. He's a different kind of king entirely. Okay. Now look... Um, look down... I'm going to skip the walk on water miracle because we already studied that. But I do want you to remember how it ties in. Look at verse 25. They found him on the other side of the sea. Jesus said to them, or they said to him rather, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you're seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. This is very similar to what happens at the well two chapters earlier when Jesus is engaging the Samaritan woman. You remember, he, he asked her for water. Will you give me some water? She says, why are you a Jew asking water from me, a Samaritan? Remember that story? And then during that dialogue, Jesus and she talk, and, and and Jesus says, I will give you living water, and if you drink that water, you'll never thirst again, and she says, give me this water. Same kind of language. You've got the water in John 4, you got the bread in John 6, and of course, that's It's got all sorts of implications from from Exodus, right? The provision of water in the wilderness, the provision of bread in the wilderness. And and here Jesus says the same thing to to these folks. They say, you know, give us this bread always. And Jesus says, um, Moses gave you bread from heaven, but you needed it the next day. You got it on Monday, enough for the day on Monday, but you needed it on Tuesday morning to provide for you. You needed it on Wednesday. You know, he gave you enough on Friday to provide for you all the way to Sunday. You know, he gave you a double portion. But you needed it perpetually. But, but, but Jesus is saying here, I am going to, God is going to give you, Moses gave you that kind of bread, but I am bringing you a different kind of bread. The bread that if you eat this bread, you'll never hunger again. That's the, that's the implication here. There's so all sorts of things going on here that are, that are pretty, pretty cool um one one thing yeah I uh, forgot to I forgot to point this out look down at john six fifty nine for for just a second this is a this is an important oversight on my part john six fifty nine Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum, so Jesus worked that miracle and then he walked on the water and then They found him on the other side of the sea, but we don't find out till verse 59 where they found him and where he's doing this teaching from. He's doing it on the synagogue. And you remember, this is at the time of Passover. And what they would have been reading, what they read every year in the synagogue at Passover is they read about the bread that that God provided through Moses in the wilderness. They read that in Exodus, okay? And so you've got Jesus teaching in the synagogue, probably... We studied this a little bit last week. uh, This idea that um, remember, I don't know if you uh, last week we studied Acts 13, where Paul went into the synagogue at Antioch of Pisidia, and they after they read scripture, they said, "Paul, why don't you get up and talk to us?" That's the way the synagogue worship happened. They would have a reading from the law, they'd have a reading from the prophets. Somebody would get up and give some sort of an exegesis, some sort of a sermon on it. So. Apparently, what's happening here in John 6 is Jesus is in the synagogue. The scripture reading would have been taken from Exodus. And then Jesus gets up in the synagogue and he teaches them about the the, the significance of the bread that we read about in Exodus. It's not just God providing miraculously, but rather it's pointing to something beyond the physical. So the fact that he's doing it in the synagogue at Passover was a huge deal. Feel free to interrupt me or ask a question, make a comment. Yeah. 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 That's that's a good that's a good question. Good thought. Um, yeah, John the Baptist would have been. And yeah, John the Baptist would have would have uh, met some of the criteria. But I think during the intertestament of, after after Malachi and Habakkuk, you know, you got that we call it the period of silence, I think it was a time of absence as far as they did not hear a word from God uh, during that time. And so I I do think the Jews during that 400 year period felt as if God had abandoned them, that there were no words from God given through the prophets. And so when Jesus, I I was going to actually, I'm glad you brought that up because I was going to read, there were documents being written, as you know, in the, in you know the the catholic bible has 12 extra books in it you know and uh those are those are uh books that were written during that time and so i hesitate a little bit to say that everybody would agree that there was no word from god during that time because i I suspect that some folks would would say there was a word from god through you know You've, the books 1st and 2nd Maccabees and 1st and 2nd Esdras and, and, and those intertestamental books, those, we call them apocryphal books. Um, but I was going to read you guys something here from one of the books that was written, one of the books that were written during, during that time. There's one called 2nd Baruch, and this ties in a little bit with what you're saying, Jason. 2nd Baruch, which is not, not one of those 12 Catholic books in the Catholic Bible. There's not one of those. There were a lot of other books written, and, and the Jews or the Catholics don't accept this one as part of the canon. But nonetheless, it was written during that time. Listen to this. It, one more thing, Now I'll, I'll actually read it. What, when you read these books from during this time period, from between Malachi and Matthew, you know, that 400-year period, you get, an, you get an idea. Even if we don't recognize them as being inspired, you get a glimpse into what people were thinking and, and how, they were, how they were interpreting this time of silence on God's part, right? And, and, and they're looking for a Messiah at times. Some of them, are, they're writing about Messiah. Well, this is what's going to happen. This is how we're going to know that he's here. So Second Baruch chapter 29, verse 8, it says this, The treasury of manna shall again descend from on high, and they will eat of it in those years. That's from a document written sometime during that time frame. And, and, it, and it reflects this anticipation from the Jews that when Messiah comes, there's going to be this miraculous outpouring of bread from heaven, just like Moses, except for greater. I think that's interesting, isn't it? Well, that's interesting to me that you got that anticipation that one of the signs of the Messiah is going to be bread from heaven. Another early Jewish writing, this is a commentary on the book of Exodus, but it says this, as the first Redeemer caused manna to descend, so will the latter Redeemer cause manna to descend. Saying something very similar. And I just mentioned those, I don't know of anybody who regards those as, as part of the canon, you know, but they do recognize them as being indicative of the kind of thought during the early time. And, and one of the thought processes that were, was going through their mind during that time was, one of the one of the clues that Messiah is here is you're gonna have the man descending from heaven. Of course Jesus does that. So that's uh, that's pretty Bill, you had your hand up a second ago, I think. Just gonna point out I saw an ad on TV the other day about from the Catholic Church coming in and listened to all those other books. Mm-hmm. Or, or the fact that books in their Bible or But you you've already touched on. It. Yeah, yeah. You saw you saw uh the television uh, oh really? Talking about those extra books? Well, it's talking about the Catholic Church. Just in passing, it, it, it talked about how many books they have. Like a oh yeah, so Se- seventy-eight, I think. I think. We'll see how many they have. Yeah, yeah. So I think I think it's twelve extra. So I think they got. That's interesting. I didn't know. I haven't seen that, Joel. Yeah. That is, that, that is good. Um, back to the first thing you said about the restraint on the part of Jesus. I think it's interesting because uh, one of the temptations in Matthew 4 of, uh, of Satan in the wilderness was he takes him up and shows him all the kingdom of the earth and he says, you can have it right now. You have it right now. I'll give it to you right now. You don't have to go to the cross. You don't have to suffer to get it. You don't have to suffer to become a king. I'll, I'll give it to you now. And it's interesting that you've got that, that kind of pressure, that one of, the, one of the ways that Satan tempted him, and you'd think Satan would tempt him in ways that would have been maybe getting to the core of, of Jesus' purpose, but uh, and, and similar to what happens here. So it did take restraint on the part of Jesus not to give in to maybe a temptation to circumvent what lay ahead of him and become king with, without... Without that. Yes, ma'am. What's the the perception of the Jewish religion? That question is, um, is, is the answer to that would be so multifaceted, I think, Margaret. The um, question is, what is the perception of the Messiah among the Jewish people? And th- there would be so many different answers to that question. You know, I don't know. Um, it. You do have you. You do still have Jewish people who are looking for Messiah. Uh, you have Jewish people who who do not anticipate any kind of future Messiah. You've got Jewish people, Messianic Jews, who believe that Jesus is the Messiah, and yet they still observe aspects of of uh, the Law of Moses and and kind of join those with Christian worship as well. So. It's hard to answer that, and, and plus I don't I don't know for sure. But uh, you do have people who are you know you got sects of Judaism who are still looking for the Messiah to come. Jews? No, no, generally no, 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 no. They would not. They would not. They wouldn't consider Muhammad. A, there's a lot of uh, a lot of antagonism between you know Jews and Muslims. Okay, before we... Oh, we're almost out of time. Good, good thoughts, by the way. I appreciate very much uh, your comments. Um, we, we don't have time to, to look at this, so let me point out just a, a couple of things. Verse 35, big, big verse here. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Uh, this is one of the seven I am statements in the book of John. I mentioned those to you maybe three weeks ago. I am the bread of life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd um, I am in John 8. That's not one of the seven. But, um, I'm missing a couple. But The I am statements, Seven of them in, in the Gospel of John. And, uh, and this is one of them. And, and you see a lot of connections here with uh, Jesus providing physical bread. But he says, that's not what it's all about. They, they followed him in some ways because he would feed them. Jesus says... That's not what it's all about. I'm. I came to bring you something more than physical sustenance. You know, I'm the bread of life. I am the true vine. I think that's the one I mentioned. I missed from John 15. So let me read you something from one commentary I was studying this week. In each of these sayings, Jesus is taking a motif from Judaism, often in the context of a miracle or major festival discourse, and reinterpreting it for himself. He now supplies that which Judaism sought in its activities and stories. As the people yearned for the heavenly bread and as the rabbis reinterpreted this bread to mean the wisdom or life-sustaining presence of God, so now Jesus is that precious gift. As he did in chapter 4, he banished thirst. Now he banishes hunger. And one of the things I said to you last week, the miracles of Jesus are the in-breaking of God's kingdom. We anticipate a world where there will be no thirst and where there will be no hunger. And uh, Jesus, when he feeds them miraculously, he gives us another glimpse into what it will be like when he comes again. One more thing before we're done. And uh, verses 51 through 58, the last part of this sermon, you've got some very difficult words. And I think that was that same commentary that said, you know, these verses have caused commentators to struggle for 2,000 years. You know, because, and it caused them problems, the, the audience, because Jesus said in verse 51, I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. They disputed among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. And, and you know, you skip down here. They, down below, John 6, John, uh, six sixty and following, a lot of people walked away because they couldn't, they couldn't handle this. They couldn't. What is he talking about, eating flesh and drinking blood? You know, what, what does this mean? And a lot, I don't know for sure here, but I do believe that there are hints here of the coming communion, the, the Lord's Supper. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all give us accounts of the Last Supper. You know, the Last Supper, that last meal on Thursday night, Jesus took the bread, took the wine, and reinterpreted it for them. Right? Matthew, Mark, and Luke, John doesn't tell us about that. He doesn't tell us about that. So a lot of scholars think that this is John's way of anticipating communion. uh, that, That in this discourse that Jesus gives at Passover... The Last Supper was at Passover, right? Not this one. It was at a later Passover. Matthew, Mark, and Luke tell about Jesus reinterpreting the elements at Passover later on. John, in John 6, he gives us a discourse at Passover where Jesus is talking about eating bread, drinking blood, you know? I think think what Jesus is, I do believe, not everybody would agree with this, but I, I believe what Jesus is doing here is he's anticipating something that they would understand later And that is that in the kingdom, his flesh, his body would be given for us, his blood would be given for us, and we would eat that body and drink that blood uh, in a symbolic way in anticipation of, well, in in memory of and in anticipation of what Jesus has done. Okay, uh, we are past time. Thank you so much for your comments and good attention. I appreciate it so much.